Conflict's just a learning opportunity. That's how I see it. Hello and welcome to The Growth Business, a podcast sponsored by Sapphire, home of frictionless digital systems. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and this month I'm talking about inclusion and socially responsible business with a guest who describes herself as a change optician. Dr. Emma Langman is an engineer by trade, but has set up Bakerfish as a coach, facilitator and speaker. Welcome, Emma. Thank you, Lucy. It's great to be here. Thank you for coming on. Now, what exactly is a change optician? So I think, Lucy, the way that we see the world is so impacted by our lived experience, the people we've connected with and what we've experienced in our lives. So a change optician is the opportunity to learn to try on different lenses. And my passion since beginning my career has been about systems and systems thinking and how organizations work and the interplay of process improvement and organizational design and organizational dynamics. And the thing that you have to do first is to learn to see the system. So the same comes when it comes to inclusion. If we want to be more inclusive, we need to put on other lenses and see the barriers to inclusion that occur for other people. Brilliant. So you are an engineer, but you also do training and coaching in inclusion. It's a quite an unusual path to have gone down, isn't it? I'm not sure. I think um Originally, I probably thought it was strange, but actually, the more and more I get to know other engineers, and in particular, other neurodiverse engineers, the more I realise that we're all fascinated by psychology. Um, so I think that trying to understand how people work and how organisational systems work is the same thing for me as trying to understand how a car works or an engine works or a structure works. It's all the same thing about where are the forces and where's the tension and how do you address those things. So to me, they feel like exactly the same thing. Absolutely. The more I do of these growth business podcasts, the more we talk about psychology, actually, it always seems to come down to that and to people. So you talked about systems. What's the sort of interface there between systems and, and people? So we are all within systems of our own making and our behaviours are all impacted by the systems that we're in. And I think one of the things that's really exciting about being a human being is we have an opportunity to influence the wider system. And sometimes we don't necessarily know that because, I don't know, perhaps we've grown up in a a childhood where we experienced some forms of disadvantage and didn't realise that we could actually have a wider impact. Yeah, I think really the whole change piece and looking at the world as a system is really important. And of course, they don't actually exist. So systems don't exist, but they're also infinite because let's say something simple like a school. What do we include in the system of a school? Do we just include the building? Do we include the children? Do we include the car park? Do we include the way it impacts on all the neighbours whenever everyone's dropping their kids off all at the same time. Now, where is the boundary of that system? And that's why it's really important to use that and try and draw some arbitrary boundaries to bring in all the stakeholders of that system. And I think that's really important within engineering. We think a lot, a lot more probably than the public realises about stakeholders and neighbours and the impact of noise and pollution and all of those types of things. So it might look like we're designing a bridge, but we're actually thinking really carefully around for example, will this structure actually bring a community together or will it take them apart? What's the social impact of that? So, um, yeah, for me, engineering is all about inclusion and creating societies that work better for everyone. So you've already mentioned neurodiversity when it comes to inclusion. And at Sapphire, we have joined up to new 
neurodiversity in business. And we're making a big effort to meet with staff and to discuss what the needs are of people who consider themselves to be neurodiverse. Now, within engineering and computing and systems and business systems, you get a lot of people who are going to fall into that category, don't you? I mean, what can be done initially? What do you think we should be doing? So the first thing is it needs to be a choice whether somebody wants to declare that they are neurodiverse or not. Um, So it is a bit difficult if you have to sort of come out in order to access support. So for me, I can't think of anything that helps neurodiverse people that doesn't also help neurotypical people. So if we design for neurodiversity as a default, then that will actually work for everyone without us having to sit down and say, you know, I have this label or this diagnosis or whatever. The second thing is that we're all very different. So I haven't got my formal diagnosis yet. I'm hoping to sort that out this year. I've been waiting a while, but my combination seems to be autism with ADHD. And that makes sense to me because because generally I find it much easier to communicate with other people who are autistic with ADHD than I do with people who aren't. (laughs) Having said that, we are all really, really different. So sometimes people think that everyone is on a spectrum. You're not. Um, So sometimes if people say, well, you know, everybody's a bit autistic, that's like saying everybody's a bit pregnant. Actually, if a person's a little bit overweight and um, perhaps the stomach's a little bit bigger than it was and their ankles are a bit um, bloated, it could just be that they're eating too much. They may not at all be pregnant. So you either do qualify for a diagnosis or you don't. But as I say, the other thing is we're all different within that. So within the autistic spectrum, we range from being very, very introverted to quite extroverted. Um, Some people are highly empathetic and find it quite difficult to cope with the level of of emotion that goes with that. Other people are at the other end and find it difficult perhaps to read people's facial expressions and know what they're thinking and feeling. So I think the current approach is sort of sheep dipping people through an awareness programme is a little bit of a worry to me. I think it's a bit of a worry because actually we are all really different. So I believe the thing that you can do that's the most helpful is create a workplace that works for neurodiverse people. Think about lighting, think about noise, all of those types of things, but apply that to everyone rather than making neurodiverse people have to self-disclose. I'll give you a very quick example, Lucy. We do work with behaviours and teams. And one of the tools we've used is a Biodex, which you can find on the on internet. Um, but basically, a Biodex is a user's guide to how to communicate really well with me. And we've worked with teams before and got them to do their Biodex. And they've looked at things like what time of day they're most effective. And these are teams where, as far as I know, they're neurotypical. Um, but quite often, a whole team will say, oh, well, I'm a morning person. And suddenly it doesn't make any sense that they've been having their team meetings at three o'clock in the afternoon when they all feel a bit rubbish and they just shift their days around. So whether you're neurodivergent or neurotypical doesn't really matter. There are better ways for you to use your energy throughout the day. And there are less helpful ways to use your energy throughout the day. So it's a conversation for everyone. I've had this discussion with people before, but it's not just the workplace, is it? It's also our um, our homes now where we do so much of our work and whether or not that makes us, whether we thrive or whether we feel isolated and it's different for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And the way we want to interact with people can vary day to day. So some days I'm almost non-verbal and other days I can't be shut up. So, you know, 
know, we're not static creatures, human beings, we change and our needs change. And it's learning to communicate those. Also learning that it will go wrong. Relationships go wrong. That's normal. You know, high performing teams, you have to go through a forming and storming bit. And if you can't go through the storming, you're never going to be a high performing team. So it's okay. It's okay to disagree and to accidentally trigger something or make a mistake. What we need to learn to do is to repair that. Yeah, that's brilliant. I hadn't thought about that for a while, but it is okay to get it wrong. To get yeah, it wrong. absolutely. It's to think about sort of falling out with people. And, you know, that's just like the worst thing that can possibly happen, isn't it? Isn't that your worst fear in a team is to upset somebody? Or Well, not for me, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I've revealed too much. <laughs> I think... Um, it's I really hate upsetting people and feeling like I might have hurt their feelings or something but as a facilitator and as a trainer and a coach I really embrace it when I see a team going through constructive challenge and disagreeing with each other because it means they're going to have real conversations and they're practicing they're like flexing their resilience muscles as a team and it means that when they face a really difficult issue they're going to head into it and work on it and actually it's really risky if you think about it if people are trying to just be nice to each other and not deal with the issues at hand you have a real likelihood of missing a risk and one of the great things about engineering is that we're really good at spotting all the things that might go wrong so what that means is that we practice thinking about risk management and what could go wrong what I've noticed though is in our sector there's a little bit of an optimism bias because we can um, see all the things that might go wrong but when we're planning the project we sort of hope that everything will be okay and then we're surprised when we go over budget or you know run late and all of that it's like well we didn't know there would be winter so I also spend a lot of time helping people to use simple tools like the Bono Six Thinking Hat to make sure are we doing a period of time where we're being really pessimistic about what could go wrong are we also doing a period of time when we look really positively at it but, you know whether you're neurotypical or neurodiverse tools like De Bono six thinking hats really just help us to think problems through and see them from every angle and that's the other reason why diversity and inclusion is an essential business process because if we all thought the same way we would all see the same things and we would miss opportunities and we'd miss risks and projects would not go as well as they can. Yeah, I know that one of the things that we do is that we have um, an employee resource group or an ERG, which you hear talk of a lot these days to try and um, have a kind of safe space to talk about issues. I mean, we don't just have a neurodiversity group. We, We have all kinds of different specialist area groups. Now you've got views about these and I I don't know what they are, but I've heard they're quite strong. So yeah, let me have it. Well, so if you're in an organisation and by dint of your background or your gender or your cultural heritage or whatever, you are facing some barriers that other people don't face, to then be asked to be involved in an, an ERG, a networking group, and to give more of your time to that is actually placing an additional burden on the people who are probably struggling the most in the first place. And I see situations sometimes, for example, women's networks, where people are not quite sure if it's okay for a man to be part of that network or to support that network. And my view on that is the other would be great. That would be great. And if we look at all the things, all the advances that have happened for women, like having the vote, Ultimately, it was men that voted for women to have the vote. So I have two concerns with ERGs. Yeah, maybe three, actually. The first one is that it can place more burden of work on the very people who are struggling more. The second one is that sometimes they are not actually very safe places. Um, So, for example, 
a transgender woman who's part of an LGBTQIA plus group may not have all that much in common with a gay bloke, for example. They might have more in common with somebody else um, who isn't in that group and they might be able to support each other better somewhere else. Um, And then the third thing is, I think it can make it a little bit difficult to encourage allyship because people are not quite sure if it's okay for them to support and be part of that ERG. And one of my really big strong feelings at the moment is that the world of inclusion needs to do an awful lot more to support cis white blokes um, because they're not the enemy they actually have very high levels of suicide and mental health issues um, and I think going back to that whole systems piece people who are alive today and living in the systems that we live in now those systems were created a long time ago and we've got the opportunity to look at them collectively and decide whether they still work for us as a society or not so for me having intersectionality and different people who have a common understanding is really powerful I mean another quick example I had a conversation recently with a Sikh man who runs an innovative Sikh group and interestingly we shared quite a lot of the same experiences as working in engineering so because he isn't a white British bloke by heritage he actually finds it harder to get his ideas across in the same way that historically I have also found as a woman in engineering so allyship across those kind of very different protected characteristics if you like can actually be incredibly powerful yeah no I absolutely agree I mean I'm just casting my mind back to um, about a year ago when it was International Women's Day last year and I sent out some invitations and a couple of blokes said to me um, oh, I think you've sent this to the wrong person because <laughs> because I'm not a woman I was like no no honestly yeah. anyone can it's just it's a it's a discussion anyone can come along to this you know the more yeah. the barrier we want allies yeah. not exclusive Exactly. Feminism's for everybody. And there was a really sad example last year, um, same same year, same um, International Women's Day of a team who all of the teams within one of our clients were talking about International Women's Day. And one team, we said, um, oh, what did you what did you talk about? And they said, oh, well, we haven't got any women on our team. So we didn't really talk about it for long. Well, that's kind of the point. Yeah. (laughs) All the more reason to have a good conversation about why haven't we got any women on our team and what would it be like if if we did and how could we encourage that? And they're the ones that definitely ought to be engaging in the conversation. Yeah, it's such a fraught area. I don't know if you heard the news today, but there was uh, some news about menopause and about Mm. um, not bringing forward legislation to support menopause because it might inadvertently... Disadvantage men men. with long-term... Yeah. Yeah, I could see both sides of that. I don't mean to sit on the fence. I mean, my own experience of menopause, which was missed for a long time because I ha- it came on so early. So I started perimenopause in my late 30s. I had tests for everything, you know, thyroid and everything else. And I was on antidepressants and being treated for anxiety, which is a, which is a common um, menopausal side effect. And in the end, one of my friends, my best friend, um, who's a couple of years older, she got diagnosed as being perimenopausal and suggested that I go back to my doctor and ask them to run a blood test specifically for my hormone levels. Um, and it turned out that my oestrogen was kind of through the floor 
and the doctor was amazed that I'd been able to get out of bed. So it's not that I didn't have mental health stuff, but there, there was that also, but predominantly it was a hormonal thing. Now, if I had taken time off work with depression and anxiety, that would have been seen as okay, because that's a health issue. But menopause is also a health issue. So for me, it ought to just fall under existing health legislation in any case. It's a tricky one to talk about with women as well, because a lot of women don't want to be labelled as, as past it. You know, they don't want to be, oh, like, well, okay, so you're menopausal, so therefore you've reached that stage of life, because it obviously can happen at any time. And it's not just labelling somebody as past it, but I, there's a huge sensitivity, I think, because that doesn't happen for a man, does it? Nobody ever looks at them and just goes, well, you're clearly past it, aren't you? Because <laughs> you've reached well, this milestone. Yeah, and it's weird because it goes back to this whole thing about, you know, fertility and having children and that somehow being in the public realm. You know, you don't walk up to strangers and touch their belly, but if they're pregnant, somehow people think that they can. You know, it's it's very odd, this whole thing around reproduction and how that all goes. Um, it's also peculiarly Western, I think. Um, so if you look at parts of Asia, the menopause is seen as sort of a new start. And the idea is that you have more energy and more time subsequently. And that might be actually when you really get into your career, because you've had your children or whatever. And, and now you're a great employee because you're full of energy, post-menopausal energy and, and ready to rock and roll. So it's very much, again, about lenses, isn't it? And how we see these things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, look, I've got written down here dealing with conflict. I think we've kind of touched on it, but I know it's an interest of, of yours. Is is this the whole thing about don't shy away from conflict, bring it on? Yeah, exactly. It's just a thing. And probably that's how my my brain is helpful. I see conflict like an object. There's something we're looking at and we see it in different ways and we disagree on it therefore well the only way that I'm going to be able to come to agreement with you in any form is to understand how you see it and for you to understand how I see it and that means that both of us are going to get a much deeper understanding of it so that's awesome conflict is just a learning opportunity that's how I see it yeah and also the repair thing so we might get emotional we might fall out about it but most people most of the time are willing to make repair um, and actually, that can strengthen your relationship. So I have a very positive view of conflict. Now, we've, we've taken it as a given because we seem to be on the same page on a lot of things here that all these are business issues. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some people would say, what's business? It has no business getting involved in these kind of areas. But increasingly, we, we find ourselves having to take the lead in all kinds of areas to do with personal psychology and the environment and sexuality and health and life stages. <laughs> what do you feel about that? I think the science supports our perception. So if you look at research that was begun in ICI back in the 70s and 80s, so for listeners who are old enough to remember ICI, they were really curious to see what was the difference between really high performing projects and less well performing projects and they were also looking at health and safety and risk and well-being and what they did was bring in a a group of organizational psychologists who studied all of these things in the 70s and 80s using longitudinal data and they discovered that the single greatest factor of your health at work and at home is your relationship with your manager. In fact, their data indicated that you are more likely to suffer health issues from a toxic manager than from smoking. That isn't to say that you should carry on smoking if you're a smoker. It's not your excuse, but that's what the data indicated. And what they also discovered is that high-performing teams will perform significantly better in climates that allow them to perform well and a climate is about how does it feel around here there are three things that impact upon your climate the first is half decent 
processes. So do we plan together collaborative planning, you know, all of those sort of process improvement lean things. The second is the span of control of your line manager. So if you've got a line manager who's trying to manage 20 people, they'll only do anything if one of them's on fire. Uh, on the other hand, if they're only managing one person, then they're going to micromanage to demonstrate that, that they're making sense. So actually, organizational structure does have an impact. And the third factor that Im impacts upon climate is the behavior of the leadership. And specifically, you could call it servant leadership or assertive leadership or inclusive leadership or anything you like. But leaders who do two things simultaneously create much better climates and much better performance for their businesses. And the two things are to, one, care about getting things done. And the second is genuinely care about the people in their team. And the more you do those two things together, the better the climate in the team and the better the business results you'll receive. Wow. I, I'm going to put the fear of God up in <laughs> A whole load of line managers now. They think they're responsible for the health and happiness of their team. That might make them a bit nervous. <laughs> Only if they want good results. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big responsibility, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yes. so you can see why we all need lifelong learning and training and um, looking at things in a sort of 360-degree pattern. Yeah. Not... and self-forgiveness, because we'll get it wrong. You know, even the, the very, 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 very best leaders in the world will still behave in a bad way about a quarter of the time. Most leaders behave in that sort of assertive way about half the time. Uh, I'm currently at about 60%. So about about forty percent of the time, I behave pretty badly. I'm working <laughs> on it. Right. Well, I mean, we haven't touched on humour, but it's clearly a, it'd be a good idea if we could then turn around and have a laugh about it all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. It seems like everything is a business issue. There's nothing really off the table at the moment, is there? This is fa fantastic, and it, it it means we could basically just sit here and chat about anything, but. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to let you go, sadly. Could you maybe round up by telling us where we can find you if anybody wants to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So you could find me on LinkedIn. Look for Emma Langman FRSA. Um, send me a DM. I'll either be in an ADHD mood and reply immediately or I might ignore it for ages. If I ignore you, tra track down Emily Gorman. Um, Emily is um, our chief organiser as a team and she makes sure that I reply to things. So she does all the stuff that my frontal ought to do but doesn't do very well um, or you can have a look at our website but it's pretty awful uh, which is bakerfish.com um, in fact if you if you want to work on improving websites you'd be welcome to pitch to us um, or you can get in touch with Cass Potter who is our phenomenal business development lead um, and also our specialist in inclusion and her email is cass at bakerfish.com fantastic no excuse not to get in touch exactly it's easy thank you so much emma thank you very much indeed and that is the end now of this episode of the growth business um we're three years old this month i just thought i'd give a shout out to that Happy birthday I can't, I can't believe it three years and um and and on we go um, it means loads and loads of episodes to catch up on in our back catalogue if you've only just discovered us. So don't forget to subscribe and never miss an episode. In the meantime, see you next time. Bye.